You might be surprised to know that the Bible speaks about prayer in approximately 500 verses. The Bible speaks of faith in less than 500 verses. But it speaks about money and possessions in more than 2,000. This is a relevant and much needed topic that the church needs to examine with our heart. The Bible calls this stewardship. And stewardship comes along with the principle that really what I have is not mine. That somebody has given it to me and asked me to manage it. Why is stewardship so important? Well, the Bible teaches that where our treasures are, there our heart is also. So we can examine our hearts and how much God has of our hearts by examining where our treasure is. You see, ultimately, you are the boss of what you do with the possessions in your control. But that doesn't change the fact that God says they're His. He has just made you the boss over them. So you have a will to choose what you do with God's money. Larry Burkett said that 16 out of 38 parables taught by Jesus deal with money. 16 out of 38. One out of 10 verses in the Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One out of 10 verses deals with money. That's 288 verses in all. Martin Luther said that everything I've ever tried to keep in my hands, I have lost. Everything I have given unto God's hands, I still possess. C.S. Lewis said, we ought not settle on how much one ought to give. We can only say that the safe rule is one ought to give more than you can spare. J.D. Rockefeller said, I would have never been able to tithe to the first on the first million dollars that I ever made, if I had not tithed on my first salary, which was a dollar fifty a week, some saying if I get a million dollars, I'll tithe on it. No, you won't, and that might be why you don't have it. George Mueller said, "God judges what we give by what we keep." And finally, Peter Marshall said, give according to your income, lest God makes your income according to your giving. The point is that God owns it all. God desires that we are joyful givers, and I'm going to look at that passage at the close of this sermon this morning. God does not want us to do what we do grudgingly. He does not want us to do it under compulsion. He does not want us to feel like we're guilty if we don't. And He doesn't want us to twist our arm. God wants us to understand His program for giving. God wants us to understand that He has a program. And that it's actually not, it's, it's in our best interest to be part of God's program. And that when we are part of God's program, not only does it help the work of God, not only does it allow the work of God to go on, not only are we giving to God, but when we're in that program, God has promised to bless us. And we want to look at that today. I also want to say that real giving is not buying. In the church, 
we've often, it's one of the reasons here at Crossway Church for six and a half years now, we've been very careful. We don't sell a lot of stuff. We don't do a lot of fundraisers. Because when you buy something, you're not actually giving anything. And if all you ever do is give people the opportunity to buy stuff, you're actually robbing them of the ability to give. Giving to God is not buying a t-shirt that you pay the same price for at Walmart, but you buy it from this person. That's not giving to God. Talking about sacrificial giving this morning. Most folks give God what's left. They give Him the leftovers. Leftovers of their time. Many folks are gone 20 weekends a year from the church. Giving God their leftovers. Many give God their leftovers in their service. Leftovers in their finances. We would not serve leftovers to our guests when they come to our house, but often that's what we give to the Lord. With that said this morning, because this topic can be an emotional topic, I'm not going to deal with it in an emotional way. What I want to do is walk you through the Old Testament and the New Testament to show you the Old Testament principle of tithing, to show you the New Testament principle of giving, and just leave the Word of God with you to form your own conclusions. And so that's what I, how I want to handle that this morning. And by that, by way of introduction, let's look together at the Old Testament examples of tithing. In just a moment, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 14. But before I get there, if you want to turn there, you're welcome to, and you can read with me. Before I get to Deuteronomy chapter 14, I want to share with you some other places in the Old Testament where tithing comes into place before it's ever part of the law. Before it's ever mentioned, before it's ever written down, before God ever tells Moses, look, here's how I want it to work. We see the principle of giving long before it was ever pinned down in the law. In Genesis chapter 14, we see Abraham. And he pursues a king and and rescues Lot. And on his way back, Abraham knows that God has blessed him. Abraham knows that God has given him the victory. Uh, He has rescued Lot. Uh, In the process of this great victory, he obtained several possessions. And Abraham comes across a priest by the name of Melchizedek. And he gives this priest a tithe. Now, that word tithe means tenth. If you've ever wondered how you get ten percent and why is the tithe ten percent, well, the tithe, that word in and of itself means a tenth. So that's where we get ten percent from. And in Genesis 14... Verse 20 simply says that Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, there is no command in the, in the law that comes later, there is no command that anybody gives a tenth of their uh, spoils from a war. But Abraham did it. Evidently, it was a token of gratitude to God who had just given him such a great victory. The next time that we see tithing in the Old Testament is in Genesis chapter 28, Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Look, let's go ahead, if you'll pull it up, Genesis chapter 28 and verse 22. Genesis 28 and verse 22. 
Jacob is honoring the Lord and he simply says, And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Notice well, Jacob recognizes, first of all, everything that he has at his disposal was first a gift from God. Here we see a principle that the tithe is not really something that we have produced that we give to God, but the tithe is our returning to God what He has placed in our hands. All that we have is from God. Now, at the time of Moses, tithing was made part of the law. Finally, God gives some very specific details. Look quickly at Leviticus chapter 27, verses 30 through 33. And then we'll be in the Exodus passage for a little while. Or Deuteronomy, excuse me. Leviticus chapter 27. Verse 30-33. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord. So your tithe is holy to God. If a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. And concerning the tithe of the herd of the flock, of whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. And if he exchanges it at all, then it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. And then we're going to be here for a little bit. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 14. This is probably the most extensive Old Testament passage where God outlines the tithe, and we can learn a lot from it. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 through 29. I'm going to go ahead and read the passage, and then come back and work ourselves through it. Beginning in verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. The tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil, of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put your name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires. You shall eat there before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the 
fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. Okay, a little bit of reading there, but it's important to read the Word of God uh, so that you know what it says and that you can see the comments uh, are in keeping with what God's Word teaches. So let's look at a couple of things concerning this passage. Six things. Number one, according to verse 23... There was a yearly trip to the holy place when they would bring in all the tithe. I think it's interesting. The New Testament tells us to bring in our offering at the, at the first service each week, which is what we do. Uh, there are some principles that changed in the New Testament. But I was thinking about this saving up of the tithe for an entire year. 10% of everything. And then hauling it to the place that God had told them to go to worship and giving it all at one time. It sure would, in my opinion anyways, it sure would put more emphasis on the reality of how much we give. It's easier to give it in little portions than to save it all up and then let it go at the same time. And I think this was God's prescribed method so that it helped put a picture in their minds not only of, hey, if this is only 10% of everything that we came in, how much did God bless us with this year? But also of the fact that God has us in, in a program where we are giving sacrificially. Notice that the people were to take their tithe to that place, and it says something interesting, and then eat it there. Now, obviously, they didn't take 10% of everything that they saved up for a year and eat it in one meal. But they were to eat a small part of it. They were to make a meal out of their tithe. This teaches us something about tithing. The tithing is not meant to simply be some type of, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just going through the motions, uh, meaningless, write the check, put it in the offering. That's not God's intention for tithing. It should be something we also enjoy. That in the process, we need to understand we're not only sustaining the temple and, and sustaining the Levites and, and helping the work of God, but this is meant to be joyous and God desires that we take joy in the releasing of our tithes. It is an expression of joy and gratitude. Secondly, Notice in verse 23 that the purpose of tithing was that, quote, you may learn to fear the Lord your God. You may learn to fear the Lord your God. Tithing was a means of remembering how dependent we are upon God. It was the actual act where I gave to God something back that He had first given me. And I, and I, by doing so, and by giving away something I could use to pay the bills, by something I could use to feed myself or to feed the family or whatever it may be, whatever it was that they were tithing, I certainly could use it. But by releasing it to the Lord, I am also showing God I depend upon You. Not things. 
I'm not just giving because I don't need these things and therefore God can have them. I am giving as a symbol of God. I acknowledge my need for you. That you are the source of my provision. Thirdly, notice that the provision was made that if they had too much grain or it was not possible for them to get all their herds and flocks to the location or if the location was too far away, that they could then sell those things, take the money, and either bring the money to the temple or if they wanted to offer grain or cattle, they could purchase grain or cattle when they got there and then give that to the Lord. Fourth thing, notice that the Levites who were scattered throughout the tribe of Israel were to be supported. They had no land of their own, and they were to be supported by the giving of God's people. The Levites were the priests. They were set apart. Their entire life was devoted to the ministry of God to the upkeep of the tabernacle, to the taking care of the sacrifices, to the work of the sacrifice, to the cleaning of the tabernacle, to the keeping the lamps burning continually, everything that went on, it was the responsibility of the Levites. So unlike the rest of their brothers and sisters, if you want to call them that, they could not choose to go and make a farm. They could not choose to raise up cattle. They had no... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They had no say-so in what type of wages they would earn and what type of work they would do. They were to be devoted to the work of God and they depended upon God totally for their provisions. And one of the ways, and actually the way, not one of the ways, the way that God provided for them was through the giving of His people in the tithe. Notice, number five. In verse 28 and 29, it talks about every third year they were to bring a tithe. And those were for the, for the most helpless groups of people in the society. The refugees, the orphans, and the widows. It seems that there was some sort of fund that was kept up to help meet those with the biggest needs amongst them. This is a very important principle for the church. We have a responsibility to help meet the needs of the orphans and the widows and and the fatherless and the most needy amongst us. And that doesn't necessarily mean just within the church. It can mean this community. But the church of the living God should be a place that those in need can look to and find help. We should be a hospital for the hurting. And sometimes the best way that you can be a hospital to the hurting is not just patting them on the back and say, God loves you, we'll pray for you. It's getting them a gas car and helping them get some gas in the tank. It's helping put some food on the table. It's helping get a coat in the middle of winter for their kids that might not have coats. Those things take funds. Those things don't just automatically pop up and happen. When we at Crossway Church are able to do those types of things through our Heaven's Hands ministry, it is because you have given and allowed us to do that. 
It is an important part of the church. And I pray that God will allow us to be able to do it even more so often and reach more and more needs. Now finally, what I want to point out with this passage is that notice the section closes with a blessing, with a promise on the people that if they're faithful in this act, to be merciful towards men and to show gratitude towards God, God promises to bless them. This is a good time for us to remind us of two things. Number one, the way that most tithes were given to God was by giving them to people. They would bring them and give them to the Levites. And the Levites would then use them as needed. They would disperse them as needed. They would use them for the upkeep of the tabernacle. They would use them to take care of the, the needy amongst them. They would use them as necessary uh, to that their families might have support. But when we tithe, ultimately we're putting our tithe in the hands of people. In the hands of the church. Malachi says, bring all of your tithes into the storehouse. And so, we can't just decide or determine, I guess what I'm trying to say, that whatever I spend on religious stuff, that's my tithe. That, that if I buy a religious book, or if I um, help here or help there, that that's my tithe. Our tithes need to come into the storehouse. The second thing is that God honors people who tithe from a good heart of faith. Now, His promise is not to make us rich, but it is this. That if we will love God and trust Him enough to honor Him with our tithe, we will never lack the resources that we need. And I believe this is still true today. Uh, I think two final passages in Old Testament. I'm, you don't have to pull them up and read them. If you want to write them down, you can. Numbers 18, uh, verses 21 through 24. Uh, verse 24 says, The tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. And then Second uh, Chronicles 31 and verse 4, Hezekiah commands the people who live in Jerusalem to give a portion due to the priests and the Levites that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord. So in the Old Testament, we see tithing was God's prescribed way of supporting certain ministries which He had ordained. Now before we look at the New Testament, here's a real brief summary of what the Old Testament tells us. Number one, Tithing existed long before the law. Abraham tithed. We see Jacob tithing. So the principle of giving a tenth of what I have back to the Lord in honor of Him is not a law thing. Even though God put down some laws on how it would work, it took place before the law. Then as part of the Mosaic Law, tithing was made an actual part of Israel's former worship. Now, there are some who will say, well, that's Old Testament. It's the New Testament. We shouldn't tithe anymore in the New Testament. Everything's different. Well, let's look at that together. Let's look at what the New Testament teaches about giving. 
I will submit to you that when we come to the New Testament, the picture of tithing changes drastically. Matter of fact, Jesus only mentions tithing twice. And He mentions it in a very negative way. Both times His reference is to the legalistic abuse of tithing. When Jesus references tithing, He's referencing the legalistic abuse of it and those who thought they were holy just because they gave the tithe. Look at Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. I'll show you since there's only two passages, we might as well look at them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Notice this. While Jesus does rebuke them for tithing and then not keeping the weightier matters of the law, He makes this statement. From the lips of our Savior Himself, these you ought to have done. So here we do see Jesus telling us, in the New Testament, you ought to pay tithes. However, He says, don't leave the more important matters undone. Faith and mercy. You don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus tells the story of the Pharisee who comes in and he's very proud of himself and he says, God, I'm so glad I'm not like everybody else and all the poor folks around and, and, and not like the, the tax collectors and the publicans. I'm so thankful I'm a holy guy that pays my tithes. And then we see the uh, tax collector that beats his chest and ask God for mercy and forgiveness. And Jesus contrasts the two and says, He that is, beats his chest and asks God for mercy and forgiveness is the spirit that you should have. If the two times that Jesus refers to tithing, obviously if he's referring to him concerning the abuse of them, he does not think that tithing is a spiritual cure-all. And I'm not going to tell you that this morning. I've heard people say the whole source of all your problems is not tithing. No, it's not. It's deeper than that. Not tithing is just a small symptom of your lack of faith. And I'll guarantee that it plays itself out in many other areas of your life. Jesus did not think of tithing as the spiritual cure-all. If you do this, everything's going to be happy. You're going to be rich. Life's going to be great. You'll just be joyous all the time. He didn't teach that. But that said, He also taught that tithing was right. That we should do it. The Apostle Paul never once even refers to tithing. Whether he taught his churches to tithe when he founded them, we don't know. But I want you to see what he did teach about giving. 
1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So we do see that on the first day of the week is when the church met. If anybody ever told you that, you know, uh, the church should still keep the Sabbath and we should meet on the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, the last day of the week. This is a clear passage in the Bible that shows us the church came together on the first day of the week in honor of the resurrection of Jesus. He rose on the first day of the week. But he said, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. So we see the offering took place on the first day of the week. He also mentions it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 3. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. We see here the heart of the church had moved well beyond what 10% do I have to give, but they giving beyond their means. And then let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, one page over, verses 5 through 12. This will be the last passage that I reference today. So let's look at verses 5 through 12 together. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time, And prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. It's a law that you and I can't get away from. But notice that he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So what is the conclusion of this giving in the New Testament? Look at verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, or of necessity. That word necessity means, oh, because I have to. For God loves a cheerful giver. And here's the promise. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He is dispersed abroad, He is given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now may He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything. For all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service, not only supplies the needs of the saints, 
but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Notice there in verse 12, same New Testament principle, it supplies the needs of the saints. That's a reference to the upkeep of the church and the, uh, the uh, taking care of the needs. They don't have Levites anymore, but we have pastors and, and ministers. But it's not only for that purpose, it's also to show thanksgiving towards God. What you see in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is what I will call today God's program for finances in the Christian life. And the question is, are you part of the program? Because God gives us the choice to be part of the program. Now, the program first requires of me that I'm willing to give sacrificially, that I'm willing to trust God with everything in my life, and I'm willing to give back to Him. But that's not all that the program entails. God says, when you're in my program, I'll supply seed to the sower. And that I'll bless you in every way so that you'll abound in every way. See, this is important because it doesn't necessarily mean that if you give your tithe, God's going to give you that same amount of money back. We don't know how God does what He does. And we don't know why God blesses us the way He blesses us. And we understand that even when we do everything that we can and we're in obedience to God, that it's still by God's grace that God does anything that He does. And that grace is unmerited favor. So it's not like we've earned something that God has to bless us. It's still God's grace. But it does not change the fact. He has a program. And if you're going to be blessed by God, And if you're going to be used, and you're going to be part of God's financial program, you've got to enter into it. And the amazing thing about this program, compared to all other financial programs that you'll ever have any opportunity to be part of, or anybody says, invest in this, and this thing will happen, or, or put your money here, and it will give you a return. Here's the amazing thing about God's program. Number one, when we enter God's program, God Himself has become the promiser that there will be a reward. So we can trust in our God, Lord, as I enter your program, you're going to take care of me. But number two, this has immediate results. A lot of the financial programs maybe that you could be in, a retirement program, you invest and it's not 30, 40 years down the road until you have any type of benefit. But God has promised to supply seed to the sower. And that as we give, God blesses. And so there's immediate payback in the here and now. But more importantly, we're investing in the future. When you invest into the work of God, so that God's Word can go out, so that God's Word can be preached, so that uh, the ministry of the Gospel can go forth. When you do that, you're investing in today, And you're investing in the generation 10 years from now. And you're investing in the generation 20 years from now. When you give specifically into this church, into this ministry, you are helping us prepare the way for the next 10, 15, 20 years, 40 years until the Lord returns. We don't know how long. But your gift not only helps accomplish what needs accomplished now, but it has a direct result on what's accomplished much down the road in the future. 
As I was thinking about that principle, I thought about those who had invested in Jack Ledbetter's ministry. Who had helped the man get to a place where he could preach full time and spend his life preaching the gospel. Whose family would come to know the Lord and ultimately I would come to know the Lord through the preaching of his son Danny Ledbetter. And what those people didn't know back then is they were just simply investing in God's work and being faithful to God and trusting God with their, with their money and tithing it to the church. They didn't know it would have a direct impact on every one of us here this morning under the sound of my voice. Hey, that's quite a program. That's a program I want to be part of. And when we understand how great God's program is, it becomes so much more important, so much bigger than just writing something out and putting it in an offering and just let it go its way. No, we are doing an eternal work. Now, with regard to unquestioned, clear, identifiable teaching in the New Testament that this is the tithe, why is the New Testament almost silent totally? It's a question worth pondering. I believe that I know the reason. I think that God took the, the focus of tithing off of the early church because He wanted them to ask a new question. The question that God wants to drive us with, the question that God wants us to ask is not, how much should I give? But rather, how much dare I keep? You see, one of the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that the Old Testament had not received the Great Commission. The Old Testament, for the most part, was not a missionary church. But the New Testament, the exact opposite. Jesus told His disciples there in the Great Commission of Mark chapter 16 to go into all the world and preach. In the last few verses of Matthew, to go into all the world and proclaim the things that He had taught them. So the New Testament church is fundamentally different from the Old Testament church and that God has told us, go tell the world about My Son. Go tell them about Jesus. And so we have a responsibility to get out. I believe that any church that is truly beating with the heartbeat of God will have a vision that's bigger than itself. It's not just about us. It's not just about what can we do at Crossway and how can we make our church better? What can we do to our building? And how can we have uh, people on staff? The heartbeat is how can we win people for Jesus? What more can we do? How could we better get the Word of God out there? This is the spiritual hope that we are to bring to the world. And the task that God has given us is so huge. And it requires such an investment. And it requires such a commitment. That trying to deal with it on a fixed issue like a tent is simply out of the question. 
John Piper said this, and I'm quoting him, My own conviction is that most middle and upper class Americans who merely tithe are robbing God. In a world where a hundred, excuse me, in a world where 10,000 people a day starve to death, and many more than that are perishing in unbelief, the question is not, what percentage must I give? But how much dare I spend on myself? You see, that's the difference between the Old Testament mentality and the New Testament mentality. It is a biblical truth beyond all dispute that all your money is God's. Psalm chapter 24 and verse 1 will tell you that. It is beyond biblical dispute that the Bible teaches all you have has been loaned to you by God and that you are a steward of it to use in ways that maximize and glorify God's mercy in this world. And it is irrational to think that giving 10%, excuse me, it is irrational to think that giving 10% of that money to the church settles the issue of good stewardship. This is why God wants a cheerful giver. This is why out of our hearts we should give freely. The issue of stewardship is not shall I tithe, but rather how much of God's money dare I use to surround myself with comfort. That's the question. Now, God, who has promised to meet all of our needs. A few final thoughts here, and I'm done. God, who has promised to meet all of our needs, does so through providing for us financially. We should use the funds that God has given us to provide shelter for our families, to provide food for their bellies, to provide clothing. For them to wear, to pay the bills that need paid. God provides those things. There's nothing wrong with us using those things to meet legitimate needs. And I would even go so far to say that there is an element, and you've got to check your heart on this. You can take what I'm about to say and use it as an excuse to spend your money any way you want, and I hope that you don't. However, I believe that God does desire families and friends to do things together. I don't think that entertainment, if you will, is in and of itself wrong. I think that family vacations are a needful thing where you can get away from the world and disengage for a little bit and enjoy one another and spend you know, extended time with each other. These things are important. And so I don't have any intention of making you feel bad about that. But I want to ask the question again. Or make the statement again. It's not so much about how much should I give. The question is how much of what God has given me should I use for my own comforts? And am I just giving as little as I have to to appease this voice in my heart to say, well, I gave. The New Testament church In Acts chapter 4 and 5, it tells us that everybody gave everything and that all had everything in common. 
This is the attitude of giving. And we've been looking at God's divine design for His church. Finances are a very important part of it. There is a need for committed givers in the church of God. And every one of us have been asked to do it to some extent. I have heard some argue that those who are the poorest amongst us shouldn't tithe anything. I don't believe that. And I'm not bragging and I'm not exaggerating and I'm just making a point. I know what it is to be poor. And even then, we tithed. And thank God we did. Number one, because it's obedience to His commands. And number two, because I don't believe had we not entered into His plan, His program, that He would have saw us out of where we were at. But Jesus saw this woman who put, she had almost nothing, and she put just the widow's mite in the offering. And what did Jesus say? When all of us would say, well, that's crazy. She shouldn't give anything at all. She should hold that back for herself. Jesus said, number one, He honored it. He said her story would be told. And He said she gave more than all of these. And so this program, this is the amazing thing about God. And only God can be so awesome to do something like this. This program is available for everyone. It's not a program for the wealthy or a program for the poor or a program for the middle class. It's a program for every single child of God, every single believer. And the more that we're willing to be part of that program and the more that God's people invest in that program, the better we can be at the missionary efforts of getting the gospel out, of ministering to the needs of the people that God brings under our care. Can I say that this, I wouldn't even plan on saying this at all. It's the last thing I'm going to say, and I'll be done today. God has led me to do a, um, a series on a Sunday morning. I have not did a Sunday morning series like this um, in a very long time, if ever. This is the type of thing I typically teach on a Wednesday night service, but I wanted all of us to go through it. And I believe the reason is because we are very close to needing to cross a threshold. I mean, if you think about it, we've been here six and a half years, and and quite frankly, we hit the wall about two years ago. We're pretty packed if you look around. And there's some things we could possibly do to, to make some things different. But it's pretty packed without even the kids in here. We know this without any question. There's zero chance, zero, zero chance of us being able to grow at the same rate over the next six years. So what do we do? Do we just decide we'll just stay here and stay small and have no vision for the future and and just do it this way? No. We don't. But that said... We're still going to need a miracle from God. Even if everybody in this place was paying their tithes, and by the way, some of you might not know this. This would be a good time for me to answer. I don't know who pays their tithes and who doesn't. I don't see the, the gift. I don't see the check. You could give $100,000 a year or $100 a year, and I would not know about it. 
And so don't think I'm patting you on the back if you've given a lot. And don't think that I'm being hard on you this morning if you haven't. Because I don't know. It allows me to sit up here and truly do this objectively. And just shoot it straight. But even if everybody in here was paying their tithes and everyone else that was already paying their tithes said, I'm going to give double. Hey, we're not going to just have the money to go out and build something that's, that's going to be bigger. We're going to need a miracle from God. But I believe if all of us are willing to enter into God's program, we'll see God bless us in our individual lives. We'll see that we're able to do more concerning the kingdom because this is part of God's plan. And I believe as we take our few loaves and our few fishes and we say, God, this isn't really enough, but it's all that we have, and we hand it up to Him, that He's going to do what He's always done and He's going to take it and somehow turn it into enough. I just believe that. That's the only vision, that's the only goal I can see for how we can possibly get across the threshold. It's going to require a miracle of God. So this morning I encourage you, as God's people, as we've been studying the divine design of God's true church, to be part of the program. Be part of the program concerning walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. Be part of the program concerning um, your, you know, your motivational gifts and doing what God's called you to do. Let us be people who live under the authority of God in every area of our life as we looked last week. And let us be people who are involved in the whole program, including God's financial program for His people. Amen? Have mercy on me, O God, according to Your steadfast love. Sin has raised its head once again And I did not stand In the power that you've given Created me a clean heart, O oh God And renew a right spirit reaching down He's ready
gives can never be replaced. All he asks is for you to meet him in this place. This is my broken spirit. This is my contrite heart. And this is all my shame being poured out before the cross. This is where mercy abounds. This is where I am set free. This is where forgiveness is poured out on me. This miracle called the choices I've made, and this is where His blood covers every one of my mistakes, where brokenness meets healing, and guilt is overwhelmed, and by the truth that God's love can reach beyond where I can This is my broken spirit. This is my contrite heart. This is all my shame being poured out before the cross. This is where mercy abounds. This is where I am set free. This is where forgiveness is poured out on me this miracle called Calvary this miracle called Calvary